We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can reach them now at 905-529-7165. Just leave a message and they will get back to you. And don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can actually ask a question there via the listener inquiry button. As well, you can also check out old shows that have been archived as well. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Surviving 2017 so far fantastic how, uh, how, how are you keeping those new year's resolutions there scott well i, I you know i'm going to keep the first one right here i'm going to make up a financial plan as if i'm living to be a hundred okay is right. that is that honestly that, what we're shooting for that's nowadays? what we're doing a 100 why year plan? why stop at a hundred yeah. yeah really and, and, and i know one person that <laughs> 120 <didn't. laughs> i know one person that didn't stop at a hundred and it was actually, it was a little right up in the spectator. Maybe some of, your, some of the listeners may have caught it. Right. There's a Robert Mar- Marchand. Right. And he just broke a world record for a 105-year-old cycling in a pel- peloton. Wow. And what it was is uh, he, he was averaging a little over 23 kilometers an hour, which is absolutely fantastic. Now, wow. And it was funny. Um here he is, 105, mm-hmm. and he's going around. And basically, you had to do an hour in this velodrome, rather. Mm-hmm. And when he uh, finished, he said, oh, I didn't know. I, I could have gone a little faster. Uh. I said, I missed the 10-minute to-go sign. <laughs> he was a little upset with his time. Now, I don't know um, exactly how much competition he has. Okay, so it mm-hmm. is a world record yeah, for his yeah, age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's not a lot of challengers, <laughs> um, or and, maybe. But what I'm finding interesting is, you know, here, here's a guy, he uh, basically really didn't get into competitive cycling. Get this, till he's 68 years old. Hmm. That's when he got into it. Now, he so was, there's still hope for the rest of us. Absolutely. 68. <laughs> Even you on your silly folding bike. <laughs> well, I, I, I know you love that one, Scott. But uh, I, didn't, I didn't ride in uh, this morning, by no, the way. No, not on that one? Not oh. yet. But uh, anyway, it's, uh, it's interesting. Here's an individual, and I, Andy and I have talked about longevity risk. And here's a person that started at 68 cycling competitively. Hmm. He was actually told earlier that he should stop cycling because he's not good enough. <laughs> really? <laughs> he didn't listen, thankfully. He, um, part of his, uh, I guess, claim to fame is he cycles and, on his indoor trainer an hour a day. Yeah. Eats a lot of fruits and vegetables, um, not a lot of meat, drinks a, a you know, glass of wine almost every day. Yeah. Um, not a big dude. He's five foot, okay, wow. even. And uh, but uh, great pictures of him. Very interesting life. He prisoner of war in World War II. He uh, did some sugarcane planting in Venezuela. Even went to Canada as a lumberjack. Wow. Lives near Paris. Why did he start writing at 68? Good question. Didn't actually go through that. Yeah. Um, but it all comes back down to is we look at, and I know a lot of people, we look through the death notices every day. That'll get you riding the bike. Okay. <laughs> you look through, and there's a lot of people that are 68 and they're just dying. Yeah. Um, or don't make 68. Yeah. But what they don't show is how many people are living past 68. Mm-hmm. And that's what they don't show. It's like it's like reporting the people that made it safely to work. Yeah. They huh. only report the accidents. Yeah. And and this is, uh, this is important because what we're finding is statistically, the over 80 crowd is the largest growing segment of the population now. And you don't even make the paper mm. barely. If you make if you make a hundred, yeah, this guy made the paper because he's cycling at one hundred and five. Yeah, yeah, not, not because, just because he turned one hundred and five. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when when we started at Investors Group, we were thirty one years ago. 
it was a big deal if you hit 100. Yeah, it was like yeah. you made the front page and yeah. you get a, a letter from the queen. Yeah, you're right. Lots of stuff. This guy hopefully got a med, med, you know, something yeah. other than his medal for a breaking world record. But again, I'm, I'm sure you'll find him in the Guinness Book of Records. But we do have to plan as if we're going to live a long time. Yeah. And so many people, and we and we talk to our clients all the time, and you know, we don't want to sit there and say, okay, underlive. So as if you're going to live to 105 and not spend all your money. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's not what we're saying. Just you have to find that happy median. So I looked at, let's say this gentleman retired. So here he is. He went to school until he's, until he's 22. And then he worked till he's 65. That's 43 years. Mm-hmm. Well, here he is 105, 40 years later. Three more years, he would have been retired longer than he worked. I love that. Okay, isn't that That's amazing? Great. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that amazing? But this is this is where it gets a little tricky. How do you invest your money? Okay, now it turns out he's living in a very uh, modest apartment outside of Paris getting a uh, pension. Mm-hmm. His lifestyle is not the best. Now, having said that, uh, France looks after their people pretty good. Yeah. Social, very good social programs. So I'm not sure if he ran out of money or not. Didn't go over his finances. We maybe hear... that's how he got into cycling. He <laughs> lost his car. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> 68. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> he needed a better financial plan to get past yeah, 68. Exactly. <laughs> but here he is, 40 years old, later, and he's still going strong. And so let's say you started at 65 and you had 500 thousand dollars, oh. and you had a choice. I see where you're going with this. Okay, you're going to put it into a GIC at 3%, which, by the way, is very tough to find a GIC at 3% right now, or you put it in our dividend fund. Okay, and our investors group dividend fund is actually paying about 3.3% per year. So let's just assume it only paid 3 also, just for argument's sake. So they're both paying 3 The one nice thing about uh, the dividend fund, if you're making under 45000 a year, your 3% is tax-free. Mm-hmm. If you're making... 3% of GIC, and then you're in the lowest tax bracket. You're in a 20% bracket. You're going to end up losing um, about $3,000 of your 15000 a year interest to tax. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're not even getting the whole 3%. So you're, you're only getting 2.4%. But again, let's just assume that's the same. So I'm giving the GIC the benefit of the doubt, and I'm giving the dividend fund not even what it's actually making at this stage. Mm-hmm. But the problem is... It's making 15,000 a year right now. That works out to $4,600 a year by the time you're 105. You have taken a 70% pay, pay cut. How many people are investing at 65? <laughs> like that's amazing, you know, it, it's a great story. It's, it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. Uh, most people, they've saved like crazy to get 465, their- 465, yeah. 465, yeah. they got their 500,000, yeah. but now we got the longevity risk. We don't want to run out of money. Yeah. And if you're planning to live to 100, 95, 90, whatever the number is, this, in this case, 105, you're, you better have some kind of program and you better look at risk. And a lot of people say, I don't want the ups and downs of the market. Well, in this case here, your $15,000 a year interest is going to go down to 4600 a year in spending power. Mm-hmm. Okay, The same value and what you get to spend it on. So you can imagine, let's say you're making right now Eighty thousand a year. Imagine if, or make it a hundred thousand a year. You're making a hundred thousand a year. Imagine if tomorrow you're only making thirty thousand a year. Mm-hmm. That's a seventy percent pay cut. How is your life going to change? Yeah. Now the difference here is that it happens slowly. So soon enough, all of a sudden you're starting to see. Well, I can't really afford that golf course. I'm going to play this golf course. 
you know what, I'm not going to um, play every week. I'm going to play every other week. So what you see is you slowly drop your lifestyle. And it's not even sometimes noticeable. But this is what happens to people when they start retiring. And what we really wanted people to do is have a fantastic retirement. Mm -hmm. That's why, you know, you worked for 43 years in this case, say from 22 to 65, you want to have a great time now. Mm -hmm. You've earned it. Okay, you've put this money away. Let's say now you put 500000 into a dividend fund. Now, it's averaged 7% a year since 1962. Okay, so it's done extremely well. It's, a, it's mainly in the bank stocks. I'd say about 60% to 65% is in financial stocks, not necessarily banks. And the other 30% are in utilities, you know, very, very conservative. Well, let's say on top of the 3% dividend, it gets 2% growth. Well, that means you're making a, around 5% a year, which is still under what it's actually done. At least by the time you're 105, even though you've pulled out the income every year, you've got $1.1 million. Not the 500000 that would be in the GIC. That you've made since 65. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it actually would have grown by $600,000. Now, what that means isn't that you'd actually have $1.1 million. Everybody's saying, well, what the heck do I need $1.1 million for? Yeah. What it means is you can keep changing your lifestyle so you're staying at the same, sorry, keep the same paycheck. Mm-hmm. Index your paycheck by inflation. Mm-hmm. So you don't run, so you actually get to enjoy that time. And what you'd actually need by the way, is 1.6 million by, by 105 years old to be worth 500,000 a day, mm-hmm. okay? But we're not saying that. We want people to have a great lifestyle. And what that would involve is you have to have equities. You have to have stocks because long-term ownership is always gonna outperform perform loanership. Right. Loanership meaning you're lending money to a bank yeah. rather than owning shares of the bank. And that is the only way that you're gonna get that indexing. Um, Equities have averaged 6.5% above inflation for 200 years, Mm -hmm. okay? They've done extremely well. And and yet people seem to still be afraid of of equities. I think that's the 2000, a hangover from 2008, right? Where Mm. the economic recession hit, people saw a big drop in their portfolios and so many people are still hesitant and Mm -hmm. still remember that. Absolutely. It's a, it's, a, it's a real hangover. It says, what if? What if? My biggest thing is, what if you live a long time? Mm-hmm. There's a far greater chance of you living a long time than the world collapsing and your stock market going down like yeah. we've seen. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, it's the same idea. People like to report the car accidents yeah. getting to work. You don't hear about the ones that make it safely. Mm-hmm. And you <laughs> see the death notices. Yeah. And you say, well, look at this person. He didn't live very long. What about all the people that are living a long time. Yeah. So you really do have to plan for this. And what Andy and I's job is, is to find that comfort level. And dividend fund is, is a fantastic option. I'm not saying put all your money in dividend fund, that's just an example. But at least you're getting an income. It's tax-free if you're making under 45,000 a year because mm-hmm. it's dividend income. And you get the indexing of the market. So you're getting, that's probably why it's our largest fund. Mm-hmm. Because you're not only you're you're almost having your cake and eat it too. You're getting an income, and you're getting uh, some growth. And I liken it to owning a rental property without having tenants. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> so you don't have the problems of tenants. Mm-hmm. You're getting that rental income every month. Mm-hmm. Actually, in in the terms of a dividend fund, it's actually every quarter. So you get this rental income, and the price of the v- houses go up. Not every year. You know, we've seen them go down 
in periods of time, but over the course of long term, 10 years or longer, housing prices rise. Dividend fund has, has proven to do the exact same thing, getting a nice income that can be paid to you every quarter. And over time, it keeps trucking up a little bit. And you got to think, the banks do want our, the price to go up. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're, they're working for the shareholders. They're making the decisions and they're looking after the shareholders. So they want it to go up. No different than housing prices will go up over inflation. So bottom line is take care of your longevity risk. And if, if you're so lucky to be cycling at 105, mm. okay, you're going to sit back and think 40 years ago, it says, it's so good. I listened to that show on CHML because I looked after my longevity risk. Do you know if that's a, th- a three-wheel bike? in this case it wasn't but yeah that's a good point (laughs) we are planning your financial future andy lister and don fox are here from investors group financial services inc the number 905-529-7165 you can call now and leave a message they'll get back to you and so will we we're coming right back We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can reach them now. The website is andyanddon.com. You can even ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Or you can call now and leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. All right, going to talk about the ups and downs of the loony and who gets Prince's little red Corvette. This is complicated, isn't it? it? That's right. Both ends of the spectrum here. Yeah. But we're, uh, I, you know, I met with uh, some clients over the over the last couple of weeks, and we were talking. One of them worked in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and is making a salary in U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, but we often get questions about where do you think the dollar is going to go? Where do you think that you know? I'm thinking about. I need some U.S. dollars. Should I wait? Should I buy it later? And the other the other client who was someone who is now often spends a lot of time in the U.S. for their uh, retirement. They've been mm-hmm. spending time in Arizona or in Florida. And they were complaining about how much more it's costing them yeah. because they have to convert to Canadian, to U.S. dollars and how much that is affecting their travel plans. And so it, it's amazing how much that fluctuation and the, the currency exchange does mm-hmm. affect us in terms of our planning. And Especially when you're on a fixed income. Especially if you're on a fixed income mm-hmm. too and you, know, you have to account for this. So so we've had we've seen some pretty wild swings over the last twenty years or so in terms mm-hmm. of the Canadian dollar. Do you remember what the Do you remember what the lowest point was? Sixty eight. It was lower than that. Was it? Yeah. It mm-hmm. got down to sixty one. Really. Point nine eight. Sixty one point nine eight cents. That? And that was in two thousand and two. So that's only fourteen years ago. Wow. Right. It's hard to believe. Yeah. And um, do you know, of course, when and then what was the high? I would say 95. It was about a dollar eight, and that was recently. Uh, that was back. I'm in, way off base here. <laughs> that was in, you don't travel a lot in the U.S., do you? No, no. I don't get out of the house a lot. <laughs> you ask anybody from Florida, yeah, they'll, they'll tell you exactly. exactly. They know exactly. Yeah, yeah. 2007 was when yeah. the peak was, and it was interesting because that at the same time, there was a flurry of activity, and the Canadian car industry was upset because all of us Ontarioites were right. going to the U.S. Yeah. to buy our vehicles, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Bring them across. Across the border, and we were getting a dollar seven for yeah. our Canadian exchange. Even when you pay the duty and do it legally, absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah. and if it was made in the U.S., there was no duty yeah, because yeah, of NAFTA. Yeah. So it really did make sense, and uh, so it, 
I guess so. The question is, what are the major drivers that we have to think about when it comes to currency fluctuation and the ups and downs? And a lot of times, I guess probably the biggest driver that I've always talked about is the price of oil. Mm-hmm. And and so what's, we've sort of been named the petro the petro currency, the Canadian dollar, because it really does track very closely the rise and fall of the price of oil. And the fact is, too, we're an oil producing country. We export a large amount of oil. And but it's not just the only factor in terms of what drives the Canadian dollar versus U.S. exchange. So the first the one of the other key factors is definitely going to be a strong Canadian economy. Mm-hmm. So in a, in a strong Canadian economy, that raises the demand for the loony and hence its value in the international markets. And so if we have a weak economy, it lowers the demand for the Canadian dollar and it lowers the price of the Canadian dollar as well. So econ- the economic strength or weakness is one of the key factors. And so if you were to say on par, where are we right now in terms of a strength or weakness? Well, we're definitely not in a, a period of weakness. Um, we could be stronger. So we're sort of in that mid to upper part, you know, from a strength to weakness category or, right. or range. Um, number two is interest rates. So if interest rates are higher or lower than the U.S. rates, the loonie is going to fluctuate as well. Right. So if our, if our interest rates are lower than the U.S., then our, typically our, our loonie is going to be lower. Right. So, and really what's happening there is on the international markets, if I'm an investor and I can get um, you know, 2% in U.S. currency, and I can only get 1.5% on a Canadian currency in a deposit, then I'm going to opt for the 2%. Yeah. So I'm going to my, have more demand for those U.S. dollars and U.S. investments than I would for the Canadian investments. So number two, so number one was economy. Number two is interest rates, higher or lower. The third one is inflation. Now, inflation often goes hand in hand with interest rate cycles and also with the economic cycles. So they're kind of related as well. And uh, so lower inflation in Canada relative to the U.S. raises the value of our loonie, right? And that generally, uh, and then the opposite would be true as well. Um, The fourth factor is what we call current account balance. And often you hear that in 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 the reporting, the financial reports that we had a positive current account balance, or we had a negative current account balance. And basically what the current account balance is, is the measure or the flow of goods and services and investments and investment income between Canada and the rest of the world. So a current account surplus means that Canada is selling more outside of Canada than it's buying or bringing in resulting in a net flow of money into Canada because foreigners have to buy Canadian dollars to pay for our goods. Mm -hmm. So the more they want to buy Canadian dollars, the higher it goes. The more demand, the higher it goes. Uh, If we have a deficit, a current account deficit, that means the flow of money out of Canada. So we're we're spending more to buy other people's goods. So we need to convert our Canadian dollars out of Canadian into some other currency. That's going to put a downward pressure on the Canadian dollar. Number four, number five is Canada is an exporter of resource-based commodities. So the value of the loonie is affected by the strength and weakness of all those uh, world commodity prices, whether it's uh, metals, uh, minerals, uh, could be wood products, uh, oil and gas, you know, all of these things are big factors in terms of our export uh, uh, driven economy. And, And I guess finally, the other would be 
sort of as we think about unstable times economically, we always think about safe haven mm-hmm. currencies, mm-hmm. and the U.S. has been one of the key safe haven currencies. So during times when there's uh, Uncertainty around the world, people are going to flock and buy more U.S. dollars, and that means that the value of the U.S. dollar is going to go up, Canadian dollar is going to go down. So what does that all that mean for us as a Canadian investor? If you've got money invested in mutual funds or Canadian stocks, um, well, if you're holding U.S. investments, so you have a, you, you're a Canadian and in your RSP, you have a U.S. Uh, mutual, a U.S. dollar or U.S. investment mutual fund, so it invests in U.S. companies. And if the dollar goes down, that's a good thing because it actually improves the value of your investment. If the dollar goes up, it's a bad thing. It actually decreases the value of your investment. So what often happens in the financial world is some companies and some of your investments may use a hedging strategy. And in a hedging strategy, what they're trying to do is smooth out these currency fluctuations up and down to kind of neutralize the effect of it. Mm -hmm. And they do that by buying um, future contracts or selling future options or contracts to offset that risk. Um, So, but the problem is there's an expense to that. It costs money to buy these contracts and this hedging process, and it's not always perfect. So I think historically what we've advised people to do is you need to diversify globally. So you have investments outside of Canada You have so that when currencies do fluctuate, you'll have a part of your portfolio that's going to benefit from that and a part of your portfolio might be hurt, but it's going to smooth everything out in terms of currencies. And just like we saw in terms of the Canadian dollar low back in 2002, so that was the best time to be buying, using your Canadian dollar to buy foreign yeah. investments and products. And then now uh, our Canadian dollar is at a, at, when it was at a high, sorry, it was at a high. And then in 2007, when that high hit, we should be buying our U.S. investments as well. And then the question becomes too, where are you going to spend your money? So if you are retired and you are spending four months of the year in Florida, in Arizona, you need U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. And so having investments that are either U.S. dollar based or investments that are in U.S. companies, a mutual fund that invests in U.S. companies is key to protecting that purchasing power so you don't feel as much of the as much of the hit when you do the conversion. And the same thing was true. So when my client who works in the U.S., he was saying, well, should I be converting all of my money to Canadian dollars? And so I thought, well, right now, if, if if the Canadian dollar was at an all-time low at 61 cents, yeah, you're getting a 40%, yeah. 50% bonus by converting to Canadian dollars. And so you would certainly want to be leaning way more towards converting everything to Canadian. So and But when the Canadian dollar was at a high and you're actually losing money, well, then you wouldn't be thinking about converting to, to lose that exchange. Mm-hmm. So right now we're in this mid-75 cent range, and that seems to be a sort of holding point. Mm-hmm. Um so it'll be interesting to see, again, predicting what's going to happen is so difficult when it comes to currencies. Uh, there is call for a stronger U.S. dollar. And in that sense, you'd want to continue to hold those foreign investments because they're going to go up in value relative to the Canadian dollar. So again, the process of rebalancing a portfolio is key. And that helps you in terms of smoothing these things out over time. We tend to avoid the hedging strategies in terms of trying to guess where currencies are going to go. And we tend to think that it makes sense you diversify across different geographic sectors and you'll ride out the smooth or smooth out by riding it out the ups and downs of currencies over time. Mm -hmm. 
And yeah. you know what? And it's this time of year you start hearing about all the predictions, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and, and I, 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 we don't have to think too far back to think of what predictions didn't go well hmm. last year. Uh, was Brexit ever a possibility? Yeah. At this time last year. Yeah. No, you know, nobody. Well, it looks like historically almost all of these hedge funds that are so-called the experts got Brexit completely wrong. Right. Yeah. yeah. Perfect example. Um, the whole Trump Yeah, I was election. just going to say, there's yeah. another one, yeah. Nobody got that one right. Um, perhaps we didn't know the Russians were going to be involved. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, nobody seemed to have that inv- uh, that one. And then when... But we're not sure that they are or were. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And on top of that, even if... Trump did get in. What would the markets do? They didn't get that right either. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. So I'm I'm going back a year That's ago. That's a good point because everybody thought that once this does happen, hang on tight. But then everything started going up. That's right. <laughs> exactly. How do you figure like, that out? Yeah. It was a, it, it was a bizarre. And, and again, we've been doing this for so long now. I find every year is bizarre. Yeah, you know, there's no yeah. normal. Yeah. I I often hear clients say, <clears throat> you know, when things settle down. You know, then I'll do this. Yeah. Things, things never settle down. Yeah. And that's the idea about owning stocks, ownership, um, any kind of equity ownership. There is ups and downs. And again, uh, equity ownership is anything that you own. Okay. And again, a stock, whether it's like, again, you own a stock of Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. Royal Bank. These companies, their price goes up and down. Mm-hmm. Apple computer, whatever. There's always things that are there. And you can get blindsided. Mm-hmm. You know, here's a, a company like uh, Volkswagen. Yeah, you know, ticking along, everything's yeah. fine, and next thing you know, is they, uh, you know, they get caught for, uh, you know, fabricating w- their yeah. diesel results, mm-hmm. and uh, next thing you know, the company's gone down dramatically, yeah. and, and and again have to lay off people. So, and the nice thing about managed money, you're diversifying that risk. Not that Volkswagen was a bad no. stock to own, but if you're owning any company, it doesn't matter what it is. They can go up and down. They can have their own risk. Especially now that Donald Trump's <coughs> tweeting so much. I mean, anything can happen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, or he can bark on almost anything. You don't know. Yeah, yeah. And and so the idea, so here we are a year ago. And last year, if you recall, it was a dismal January. In mm-hmm. fact, it was horrific. That's right. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Last January. It was week. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Three weeks. Oil had fallen dramatically. Yeah. Yep. Some of the worst markets, the worst start of any year. what was the reason year. for that? What would, there was, was there some reason for that? Just a, a anticipation there was some kind of slowdown in the in the economy and therefore less demand for oil. Yeah. And so, and, and the shale and fracking, there was a ton of supply. Yeah. So we thought everybody, way oversupply, yeah. uh, slow down in the economy, therefore double whammy. Mm-hmm. And we just came off of a... A more or less a break even to a negative year, and for in fact the oil stocks are were all negative in 2015. Yes, and so and it continued to go down, mm-hmm. and it was one of the worst starts of any year, and you had to go back 60 years to find a worse year. Mm-hmm. So here we go, 12 months later or 11 months later, how did 2016 pan out? Yeah, well it's kind of funny. You don't hear about all those people how bad it was going to be. The Toronto stock market did 23 and a half percent. Fueled mainly by the resource sector. Yeah. The bank stocks also did okay. I think they were in, uh, in the mid-15 area. The U.S. stock market did about 20%. And the world stock market, which includes U.S., which actually is 60% of it, did 9%. Well, if the U.S. is, if the US is uh, 60% of the world and the world stocks did 9%, you can tell the rest of the world really didn't do that well. Yeah. Okay, because... 
and and again things such as uh you know germany france etc they were the lower performer last year but again we don't know and when we're creating portfolios for people we spread the risk over not only companies so whether you're getting again those the blackberries of the world or the nortels of the world these are great companies at one time the next Mm -hmm. thing you know is they're basically worthless yeah we don't know that so what you're doing is you're not only buying managed money that has a portfolio that already spreads it over say 40 different stocks now you're sp- spreading it over geographically mm-hmm. and who, who was the best com- uh, country to invest money in 2016 canada i was going to say that yeah <laughs> shocking you know and again who would have guessed that it had yeah. one of the worst starts in 2016 yeah, in true. fact I'm, I'm looking here at a, at a market watch and they're talking about how it was a reality of there was going to be a stock market crash in 2016. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. And it's very, um, you know, you read this and you're thinking, okay, it's happening. There's yeah, no way they can yeah. be wrong this time. Um, no, it know. was like every day after the new year, <laughs> it was negative, negative, and then all of a sudden it turned around. Yeah. Yes. Wow. And they always show, uh, I love this, every time they're talking about market corrections, they always show a crowd of people outside the New York, new York Stock Exchange or a soup line of the crash of 1929. <laughs> <Yeah>. Always. <laughs> Guaranteed you will see that picture. And here, not not to, here I am looking at that picture again. And so they're, they were so sure they were going to see a crash of 50% in 2016. So what did, if you were sitting there and you're running your own money and you said, okay, I'm buying index funds, I'm buying ETFs, I'm going to go for the lowest price, I'm doing it on my own. And you said, okay, you know, I think I'm going to pull my money out. There's enough bad data out there mm-hmm. that I've researched this. I'm pulling my money and putting it in cash. And, and once it goes down, I'll buy then. Yeah. You just cost yourself 23%. Mm-hmm. And now you're sitting with all this cash still waiting. Yeah. And again, I don't know when there'll be a drop. There will be a drop. Yeah. But the point is, is this is why you have a financial planner to make sure to protect against yourself to make sure you diversify properly and not go with the whims of whatever the next prediction will be. So we don't get, we will get to my little red Corvette story. Oh, it's coming up. Yeah, it's, it's coming I, up. Okay. It's idling in the parking lot now. <laughs> okay. uh, we are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. 905-529-7165. Leave a message. They'll get back to you. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can go to their website right now and ask a question via their listener inquiry button at andyanddon.com. You can also check out old archive shows there as well. Or you can call 905-529-7165 and leave a message. They will get back to you. All right, you're teasing us. Who's going to get the damn little red Corvette? Who's getting what the little red Corvette? Here? So, you know, the late musician Prince, mm-hmm. uh, we know that he's certainly left a musical legacy. Yeah. Uh, but there's one thing he didn't leave. Yeah. And that was a will. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I find it astounding that someone of that wealth... And I mean, it's not, it? like, it's not like he's a young guy. Exactly. Why he wouldn't have something. Oh, it's unbelievable. So, I mean, that the cost, the cost to his legitimate heirs is incredible in terms of money and time. And so far, I think at this point, there are 30 other individual claims really? against, wow. against his estate that have to be settled. 
Uh, and there are also strangers claiming to be his long-lost children mm-hmm. as well. Yep. And so all of this is having to be adjudicated in the Minnesota courts where Prince lived and where he died. And uh, so who's going to receive the financial legacy? Who's going to receive the property? And even the little red Corvette. The lawyers. completely in the air. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. exactly. The lawyers, man. Did they list him as amongst the 30 people? Or? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. They might be getting the biggest That's share. That's right. And uh, so the bottom line is that the court are going to decide who gets all of this property. And so it's just going to be staggering in terms of, it'll be interesting to see, A, how long it takes. And this is an estate that continues to pay. That's right. So who gets it in the future? Yeah, with royalties. There's future royalty revenues and et cetera, et cetera, Mm -hmm. which will carry on uh, forever. Yeah. Um, So he definitely had a sizable estate. There's no doubt about it. And it doesn't matter. I guess really what, what I've discovered is that it doesn't matter how much you've got. You have to have a properly drafted will. So how does this happen? Because obviously he's a very wealthy man. He must have financial people around him that are helping him with this. You would think that would be one of the first things that they would do. Well, there there must be something inherent in this because we know even in Ontario and I think Canada-wide, the statistics are roughly about half of us have valid wills. We've yeah. prepared valid wills. In Ontario and, you know, so in many of the provinces, they've decided, you know what, we're so pathetic at putting together or looking after this part of our financial affairs that the province decided we're going to put a, a basic will in place or, yeah. or a hierarchy or a protocol in terms mm-hmm. of when someone dies without a will, this is how your money is going to be divided. So at least that might help if there was a prince here in Ontario yeah. that passed away without a will. It'd be, it probably wouldn't stop the 30 people coming out of the woods to no. be thinking they're his children but, uh, or claiming to be children. But yeah. at the same time, uh, 50% of us don't do it. And, mm. you know, there, but in my experience, and I've had clients that have been very hesitant or at least not hesitant. They always say that, yes, it makes sense. Yes, we should do it. But when it comes to actually pulling the trigger and going to do it, it seems to be it's related in two main things. First of all, it's a reflection on their mortality. So they're saying, you know what, I'm going to die at some point. And I'm, and I'm dealing with what my life will be or how this is at my end of life decisions. Yeah. And for some people, that's very difficult to get their head around. And the other often, which is a stumbling block, is who and how much is going to be involved in it. So there may be estranged family members that um, you know may come out of the woodwork. There may be uh, some broken relationships. Could there be may complicated. Be, there may be. It's complicated. And who are you going to name as your trustees? Who are you going to name as your executors? And so often, people either don't have someone that's obvious or don't feel that they're, they're comfortable with naming the person or leaving somebody out. So instead of making those tough or having a discussion with those involved, yeah. they tend to just put it aside. You know mm-hmm. what? And making no decision is their decision. So that's that's maybe where Prince ended up in this somehow is he, A, he couldn't decide how it should be allocated. B, uh, he thought maybe it'd be some kind of grand fun scheme to see how it all unfold, just leaving it as You ad kids hoc. all fight over it. <laughs> he probably thought he was going to live a lot longer too. Yeah. He probably thought he had lots of time. Good time, yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, oh, I'm point. in my 50s. I'll, I'll do it later. I'll do it well, later. Justin Bieber has one. That's a, yeah. that's a great yeah. point. Yeah. That's a great point. You know, he's uh, he's or, or, um, 
the other rapper here in Canada, Drake. Uh, Drake. Drake. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you're listening, Drake, make sure nice. you get yourself a will. Absolutely. Um, but so, you know, just quickly, I want to just talk about why do we need to have a will? And clearly there's a number of key things, but first of all, the will designates how your estate, your money, your property, your insurance proceeds, all of that, how is it going to be distributed? It's going to clearly state your wishes, how the legacy is passed on, and it's going to protect your family from uncertainty. It's going to reduce expenses, and it's going to save you time. So number one. Number two, You would living. think that would be the main reason to do it. It's just, you just yeah. want to take care of the kids. You want to make sure that they Less get everything. for everybody yeah, else Yeah, they too. just want to, you make sure they get everything that they're, that they're entitled exactly. to. Exactly. Uh, living wills. So living wills, which are we call some in Ontario or in the province, we'll call advanced health directives. These are basically uh, power of attorney where you're uh, providing someone the authority to look after your medical health while you're alive. Um, the executor, so naming an executor, sometimes they call it a personal representative or in, in Quebec, it's a liquidator. It is the, uh, is the person named in your will who can settle your estate according to your documented wishes. Uh, number four, li- your liquid assets. So what liquid assets have you set aside to pay for taxes? And often things will get, so there's emotions connected around a cottage, but the, the capital gains tax on the cottages are so significant that nobody can afford, there isn't enough money in the estate to pay it. And so the cottage has to be sold mm-hmm. to be able to just to just to pay the taxes on the uh, on the estate at at, at death. Um, not clearly stating beneficiaries, mm. um, names that are misspelled, um, people that have passed away and the beneficiaries haven't been updated, um, people that were left off, uh, people that need to be added. So all of those things happen in terms of beneficiaries, and often we see that a lot in. Uh, uh, in your group plans too at work, things change a lot and you forget who you named. Um, you need to have obviously financial, all of his assets weren't listed. So they had to go the hours and time spent just to figure out what all his assets actually yeah. are and listing them. And then, um, if you've got your own business, you need an estate plan and you need a will. If you're in a, um, a blended marriage, uh, if you have disabled dependents, if you have to care for elderly or minor relatives, all of these are absolutely critical to have a will. And finally, you need to revise your will at any life event. And uh, so if it's a marriage, if it's a divorce, if it's a birth, if it's a child or a grandchild or the death of a spouse, uh, you need to make sure that those people are, that that's always revised and looked at. At least every five years, I'm going through the process right now personally, and it's been about uh, it's been about six years since we did it. Hmm. But but the kids are now all older, and things have changed. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services Inc. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. Check out their website at andyanddon.com. You can listen to old archive shows there or even ask a question via their listener inquiry button. All right. Uh, talking about getting hitched and your financial destination. This sounds complicated. Oh, yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting. Over the uh, Christmas holidays, a client's uh, son. Mm-hmm. I uh, got married. Cool. And uh, actually, he's also a client. He uh, he started off really early and had some uh, you know scholarships to university. And he said, okay, I want to put some money away. So he's already got his mindset around financial planning. Mm. And so- How old is he? He would be around 27 now. Wow, good for him. Okay. And so he had this wedding and it's interesting. And Andy and I were just talking off here is how, you know, how much did it cost you for your wedding? Mm-hmm. And 
you know, mine was somewhere in that ten to twelve thousand dollars. Yeah. And I think you said, Andy, yours was. We similar. had a budget of about ten grand was yeah. what we ended up spending, and that was the honeymoon and the Sarah, uh, the whole, the, the whole, whole, sh- the whole yeah. shebang. I had my dad gave me his timeshare. I know my in-laws. I didn't have a whole lot I had to contribute, yeah. which was just great. But it was in that ballpark. The average wedding today is just it's thirty thousand seven hundred seventeen dollars. That's average. That's average, and that includes the honeymoon. Okay, and we're thinking that's absurd. Who would spend that kind of money? You know what? If you index what we paid thirty yeah. years ago, yeah. it works out to about thirty grand. That's yeah. where I that's where I was really deflated. <laughs> <laughs> I thought here I thought maybe I'll help out with ten grand as a wedding. Mm, with inflation at about two point six percent, it's like twenty five grand yeah. today. Yeah. After thirty and years. Inflation, and your kids are always kind enough to point that out too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, we had inflation rates of seven or in the early days. Mm-hmm. Now they're around two. So yeah, they're probably pushing more like three and a half to four. So thirty grand is probably what uh, you know and and now our kids are in that ballpark of age. Well, you know what? They're 20s in their mid 20s. So you guys, your kids are a bit older than mine. I started right. late. I was a late bloomer here. Do, yeah. do, the, do, your, do the kids today want that sort of thing or would they rather just pack the cash and have a party in I your basement? I think my oldest would definitely fall into this category. Yeah. And then the next one, not so, next two, not so much. Right. And yeah. Mine are really haven't given a whole lot of thought, but in talking, I was invited to a few clients' weddings last year. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they were just going just like any other wedding, you know, yeah. so things haven't changed too much. No. Um, so, but it co- comes down to you can really help yourself during this time because it's such an emotional yeah. time. And so what, what happens is, uh, you know, your emotions take over your budget. Mm. And so you're looking at your, say, okay, first of all, why don't you sit down with financial planner and go through the costs? And here are the actual costs. And <laughs> Before marriage? Before what marriage. Are you nuts? You know, this is like a, <laughs> like a prenup. You need a wedding plan yeah. just as much as you need a financial plan. <laughs> Clearly. A prenuptial me. financial plan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Man. And so things such as the venue, where are you going to have it? Mm. Okay. And what's that cost going to be? The guest list. How many guests are you going to have? It, the average Canadian wedding is about 120 guests. Yeah. But it can be difficult keeping the guest list to 50. So it could reduce your costs a lot. You know, and, and a lot of people aren't, aren't all that burnt about, oh, I didn't get invited to the wedding anymore because they know how much it costs. Yeah. Okay. And chances are they didn't invite them to theirs. Exactly. That <laughs> happens. <laughs> it kind of goes back you and forth. set the trend, yeah. <laughs> uh, the wedding day itself. Um, you know, the non-traditional day. It used to always, you know, Saturday was kind of the day, mm-hmm. but Fridays are very popular. Now you're getting Sundays too. Yeah. Yes. Um, whatever, you know, it can save a significant amount of money. That's right. Uh, do it yourself. Plus, you know, if you had to have a midweek wedding, like on a Tuesday or so, it'll probably shrink your guest list a bit because not everybody want to take exactly. the day off work yeah. to go. Yeah. Make it a bit further away. <laughs> the bar bill will be lower because everybody's right. got to go to work the next day. Exactly. We were invited to a wedding in Winnipeg. In yeah. January. Oh, yeah. In January. In January. Yeah. That'll, nice. thi- that'll thin the crowds. <laughs> yeah, we were part of the thinning. We didn't make that one. Nice to be invited, though. Oh, they have the, the bride happens Come to Come to my wedding in Anchorage <laughs> in February. Exactly, yeah. So, and, and it's a destination wedding. It's dark all, to, all the time. So. <laughs> right. yeah, bring your flashlight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we were at a few weddings and somebody did all the decorations themselves. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. that's becoming more and more popular. Mm-hmm. But even more so with the computers, um, doing the own invites. Yeah. And, yeah. and so you're seeing- Any invite. Yeah, why not? Invite, yeah, why not? True. Yeah, sure. Save on there. Um, what we're getting is the pre-invite. 
keep save this date. Save the date. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. That's true. Oh, that's so true that's true being too. done by the email system. Yeah. But then the real invite comes a little later. Yeah. But again, they, they can do all this themselves. Now you're just paying for the stamp. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, do you really want your friends? Okay. Well, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you just, do you really want your relatives? Do you want these freeloaders drinking your bar? <laughs> <laughs> the one I really liked is uh, is the whole photography thing yeah. is hire a student. Yeah. You know, you, there's a lot of uh, photography I love this majors. shot, honey, but, you, but the thumb's in the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we got a student to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I can't actually remember last time I looked at my wedding pictures. Yeah, that's a good point. So at the time, it seemed pretty important, yeah. but perhaps it wasn't How as important. How about your wedding video? When was the last time you saw that? Oh, oh good You point. know, we used to watch it every year at the anniversary. Did you really? And we sort of stopped that in the last <laughs> Because <laughs> you can't find a machine to play That's it. That's right. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> you got to convert it over to digital there, Andy. Uh, the mm. destinations themselves, um, wedding rates, you can save money depending on when you have it. Mm-hmm. If you have your wedding between November and April, um, you are going to get save, save some money on, yeah. the, on the destination versus the summertime. So there is ways you can cut the, the budget a little bit. But at the end of the day, have that, I call it a prenuptial financial plan, you can do a lot because it takes that emotion out of it. Well, we're all kind of, before you get caught up in the plans and, you know, as, as any, we were talking off here is don't get too married with, to the married, the actual wedding plans. Yeah. Yeah. And or, once or you. Or better yet, just go to city hall and then put the money down on a house. <laughs> well, 30 grand <laughs> Whatever can goes wrong is going to go wrong, but everyone's going to remember the fun parts no matter what. Yeah. Good point. And they always, those, those crazy things that go wrong is what makes it the great memories too. Yeah. That's true. That's what everybody will remember. That's exactly. Yep. You know, the stuff, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uncle so-and-so, he got a pretty, you yeah, know. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah. but at the end of the day, when you're all done, the honeymoon's over, there's the next chance to sit down with your financial planner mm. because- First thing you got to do when you come back from your That's it. The number one or number two. After consummation, <laughs> it's your financial planner. That's right. Financial planner's right there. Merit, money is one of the biggest reasons for divorce. So, yeah. therefore, we want that wedding to last. So, you may as well have a good financial plan. All right. Uh, we have been planning your financial future. We should get out of here before this just gets ugly. Uh, Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can reach them at 905-529-7165. And don't forget about the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, Thanks Scott. Scott. See you next week.